0: Welcome to Gods Contemplative Preachers Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic.
1: Welcome to God'splaining. My name is Father Bonaventure. I'm joined by Father Joseph Anthony Cress, my partner in crime here. And this is a guestsplaining episode and a real special one for reasons you'll know. Because you'll recognize the guest it's dr scott hahn i'm just going to read a little bit of biography although i suspect if you're listening to us or watching us you know who dr hahn is but in case you don't dr scott hahn is the father michael scanlon professor of biblical theology and the new evangelization at franciscan university at steubenville he's the founder and president of saint paul center an apostle dedicated to teaching of catholics to read scripture from the heart of the church dr hahn has been married to kimberly his wife for 42 years And they have six kids and 21 grandkids. They also have one son ordained to the Diocese of Steubenville, Father Jeremiah Hahn. So if you see him around, say hi. As the author and editor of over 40 popular and academic books, Dr. Hahn's works include the best-selling titles Rome's Sweet Home, The Lamb's Supper, and Hail Holy Queen. His most recent releases are titled Hope to Die, The Christian Meaning of Death, and The Resurrection of the Body, which is during COVID time, perhaps a, a salubrious read and it is right and just why the future of civilization depends on true religion now available at stpaulcenter.com and amazon and anywhere else you want to buy your books so we will say that welcome dr han to god's planning
2: great to be with you father bonaventure and father joseph anthony thanks for the invite
1: it's been it, i've i've been looking forward to this because in a sense although it's like a logical and a real relationship between God. You. So you've, I've been relate, really related to you. You've only been logically related to me for so long now because I was a student at Grove City College um, and knew your son, played football against your son one afternoon uh, in, uh, on, on the memorial lawn at, down at the, uh, at the, the hall there. Also was given, uh, so I can, I can personally recommend many of the books, but especially uh, Hail, Holy Queen by Andy Tonzik, the Dean of Men at Grove City College, who knew you and speaks so, so highly of you. Um, and that's a fantastic introduction to Mary and very suitable as all of your books are suitable for, to Protestants. So it's, it's delightful to find, talk to another convert from Grove City College. And I think we're not the last, um, but I look forward to hearing more stories about Grove City converts as time goes on.
2: I might insert here that uh, a fellow convert, Chris Cuddy, now Father Cajetan Cuddy, OP, read that same book, Hail Holy Queen, as he told me, twice in one night down in the basement of Kettler Dorm uh, while he was doing his load of laundry. And uh, I think it was around 5 a.m., 5.15, that he finished the, uh, he finished reading through it the second time. And,
1: and that, his was, memory that was serves, it.
2: He, He prayed a Hail Mary, if not a whole rosary, and I texted back to him something like, you're a goner. You know, once you do that, (laughs) you have united head and heart in a way that is life-changing and sort of uh, irreversible.
1: Yes, I used to. I had four um, Catholics on my hall that I was an RA for, and I was a Protestant at the time. Um, but I would pray the Rosary with them on Wednesdays, and I always felt like people would attack the Catholics, and I felt it's kind of like you're a crazy uncle, you know, you don't let your, anyone outside the family attack them. So I would, I'd always defend the Catholics to everyone around, and then individually we'd kind of say, well, I don't know about this whole Mary business, but I was praying, and uh, who knows? But your books are so accessible; you make them, and if there are, for our listeners who are Protestants and are thinking about the Catholic faith, this is a great opportunity uh, to, to hear from you and also to then look at your books because they're just biblically rich. You're a sort of American Pope Benedict XVI, um, whenever I read Benedict XVI, there's just a biblical richness to his Catholicism. And I've always felt you've been, you're very close in that way as an American. And I think I actually wrote a book called, called on communion or covenant and communion on, on Benedict XVI. So, the
2: biblical theology of Pope Benedict, that's right.
1: That's exactly, there of you of go. Look at that. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. In fact, um, it was
2: published by Baker, uh, which was, and still is perhaps the largest evangelical Protestant publisher in the US. And uh, when I handed Bo- Pope Benedict the copy, not only was he pleased to see a Protestant publishing house release it, but uh, five or six blurbs from leading evangelical Protestant theologians like Kevin Van Hooser, Michael Horton, mm-hmm. not the cast of, um, you know, uh, usual suspects, for sure.
1: No, you're you're reaching out, you are not just the new evangelization, but the new ecumenism, I would say. Um, but we're let's. Our listeners are probably tired of this uh, this experience of sharing stories. Although maybe not. But we'll. I'm sure we'll come to more. If this this be, your bearded figure and visage has this kind of story quality to it. Let's talk about the meat of this. We thought in this episode we talk about conversion um, from both a general and a personal kind of aspect. So first, I'd just like to ask you. It seems that there is an uptick in the last 20, 30, 40, uh, last 10 years of Protestants converting to Catholicism, of uh, big names, including most recently Bishop of Rochester, Michael uh, Nazarelli, uh, and also just any, any people you meet. I know a number, I bet you know a number that, that contact you about thinking of converting. What do you th- why do you think Protestants, especially evangelicals uh, and traditional Protestants, are converting to Catholicism now, uh, more than ever, you could say?
2: Well, you know, as a Dominican, you'll appreciate the idea of different degrees of causality. Uh, ultimately, the Holy Spirit. Uh, more proximately, I think we would have to say the uh, the renaissance in Catholic apologetics that we've witnessed for the last 30 years or so. Uh, I go back to 1986 when I came into the church, when I had my so-called conversion. But I really look back all the way to the 70s when I was uh, barely 14. Uh, ensconced in the Allegheny County juvenile court system. And uh, as a delinquent, I needed something else besides crime. And and I found Christ. He found me through Young Life. And then uh, R.C. Sproul, I would go down to the Ligiter Valley Study Center mm-hmm. about an hour away. Uh, I would try to make it weekly. And I just was enthralled with what I discovered. Back then, it was on the holiness of God. And that just uh, captivated my mind as well as my heart. Uh, and challenged me not only to study and grow intellectually but also to apply it by the time i went to grove city college uh and became an ra in stark contrast to you i would target my uh my kids who were praying the rosary i would be uh, uh charitably targeting the catholics but in any case um back in 86 when i came into the church and i had that so-called conversion which i think is legitimately described as a conversion three things first of all I was doing the unthinkable. Uh, back then, it would have been almost like uh, Ronald Reagan defecting to the Soviet Union um, because they were coming to us. We weren't going to them. I knew uh, dozens of ex-Catholics. And so mm-hmm. I wasn't just a non-Catholic. I was more anti-Catholic than any of the people I knew, including the ex-Catholics who are generally the most anti-Catholic. But the, uh, the second thing that struck me in becoming Catholic was that everything I had in my conversion at 14, uh, I still had, I took it with me. And so the good news was not really uh, a subtraction process. It was not merely an addition of, you know, Mary the Pope, purgatory, the saints, seven sacraments instead of two and all of that. It was more of a kind of multiplication. The good news was exponentially multiplied so that in instead of just being saved from sin and hell and guilt and damnation, you know, to discover that you're saved for mm-hmm. becoming a child of God, but not just in name, but as 1 John 3, 1 says, so we are. And as 2 Peter 1, 4 says, we've been made partakers of the divine nature. What is that? Well, filial divinization and nothing less. And so to discover that was to take the good news to a higher level than I could imagine. Uh, And the third thing I would say is that I discovered in becoming a Catholic that conversion was not a one and done experience when I was 14. It wasn't even uh, a second time around in 1986. Uh, The Catholic Church has this tradition rooted in scripture um, about conversion being ongoing, uh, lifelong, but also if we're following our Lord's advice daily. If anyone would follow me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me and deny himself. And I don't think we'll ever reach a point where that's a downward slope and just gravity will carry us and momentum will make us holy. No, there really is a sense in which it's an arduous good for which we must labor with the help of the Holy Spirit. And as Saint Augustine discovered as he got older, you don't need less and less grace as you get older you need more and more at least you become much more aware of your need for the divine Mm -hmm. grace that will enable us to uh, not only overcome our vices but achieve the virtues and then ultimately become holy and nothing less for without holiness no one will see god
3: that's a a dr sorry I'm I'm the the token cradle Catholic in this conversation. I I I grew up, born and raised Catholic, Catholic school my entire life. Um, I going through your conversion experience to not just to Christ, but um, later on into the Catholic Church. Um, was that? An isolating experience, or did you like feel that there was this kind of communal reception? You talked about the kind of the multiplication of that. Can you speak briefly on like that kind of experience of joining the church, and and because I can imagine it would be somewhat isolating to leave or to convert from something that you were very kind of public and, and dedicated, in into entering into kind of this new dimension and the the ocean that is the catholic church uh, can you kind of speak yeah. a little bit about what that was like
2: okay so first of all i think you are the poster child as convert as cradle catholic of what we mean though by ongoing conversion because mm-hmm. every catholic cradle catholic or convert is called to be a convert and the very fact that you're wearing this white dominican habit illustrates the point and the very fact that uh Another Dominican, Reginald Garrigou Lagrange, has the three ages of the interior life, shows us that purgative, illuminative, and unitive, that's a lifelong calling and it never gets easy. You know, the, um, uh, the second thing you say, you know, is, um, is it isolating? Oh, well, well, yeah. I mean, again, to draw from my Dominican parlance, we distinguish to unite. On the one hand, mm-hmm. it was extraordinarily isolating in a way that I never could imagine it's the kind of thing you wouldn't wish even on your worst enemy uh the isolation uh the sense of uh, your friends your family members your colleagues look at you like a judas a traitor Mm. Um, and you know you you could say well hook me up to a polygraph i'll pass with flying colors but they wouldn't hook you up they wouldn't even want to converse and so uh my wife would still talk to me but she was four years away from conversion And for all I knew, she would never convert. She wouldn't even consider it when I came into the church. And so it was isolating even in a domestic context. Uh, On the other hand, it was anything but isolating because uh, to discover the communion of saints, it's more than a doctrine. It's more than just a metaphor or an image of the cloud of witnesses, such as you read in the book of Hebrews. It becomes such a reality that you recognize how you're being enveloped into a family that is much more than the Hans, Uh, you're entering into a union that is much deeper than the marital bond that I had with my bride, Kimberly. And, and once you begin to recognize that, that none of this is just religious rhetoric, Catholic doctrine, spiritual talking points, but these are sacred mysteries that are more real, you know, than the institutions that define our country or the local city in which we live and that sort of thing. You know, then the gift of faith becomes more precious than anything else on the planet. And finally, I would say, you know, that um, in the sense of isolation, what I ended up experiencing alone in prayer was, this sounds counterintuitive, but I came to the point pretty early in my Catholic life where I became more grateful to God for my evangelical formation in high school, for the instruction that I got from Dr. R.C. Sproul, for the privilege of studying under men like Dr. Roger Nicole, um, brilliant and godly, and perhaps more grateful for my formation than on the day I was ordained a Presbyterian minister, because I look back on all those men who gave me hope and excitement. And I realized that even if I made a decision that would have just simply, f- you know, they would have felt betrayed. Uh, I know that, you know, in heaven, if they're there, and I pray they are, and I expect them to be, we're going to be able to give each other high fives, if not more. And so that sense of, um, in I don't want to say integrity, because I was always so fearful of the consequences of my decision. I was so calculating um, of of the costs and the benefits. But in the end, just the real presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist was the singular benefit that outweighed all of the costs that I could have possibly enumerated. And so at that point, you're just swept off your feet and you realize everything I give up, you know, as Paul says in Romans 8, is not even worth comparing to what I gain. Mm -hmm. And that includes the communion of saints. And uh, boy, I tell you, to have the angels and the saints and especially the mother of god as your own mother in a way that my mom could never be again this just takes truth objective reality to an entirely new height of beauty and power
1: that's i mean your uh, it's a stunning testimony and uh we're turning now i think rightly as we'll take a break in, in just a second to the personal and the spiritual aspects of conversion um but i'm i was just reminded of your comment about the not adding or diminishing but multiplying because it seems that if was one thing i try to tell people who are thinking of a converting is that you don't lose you won't lose anything of value you will lose nothing of value the only if you convert in the catholic faith you only gain things and i like your instead of addition your multiplication model because addition sounds like things are the same before but it's really more of there being integrated and magnified so i love that image um, we'll come back to, and we'll talk about this personal conversion and some things about the spiritual practices of Roman Catholicism versus Protestantism right after this break with uh, Dr. Scott Hahn on Godsplaining.
0: You are listening to God's Godsplaining. Visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes, shop our store, and donate to our podcast. All gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners. Thanks for your support.
1: Welcome back to God's Plaining. This is a guest Explaining episode, and we're excited to have Dr. Scott Hahn, uh, an expert at so many things, biblical Catholicism, and written so many books, both popular and scholarly. And uh, we've been talking about conversion and his conversion, Protestant conversions to Catholics in general. To Catholicism in general. But we want to focus now on, as we've turned, to the kind of spiritual and personal elements of conversion. And I'll just put this question to you, Dr. Hahn. I, I, was, at a, I was at a conference, and Bruce McCormick, who was one of the lead uh, Karl Barth scholars, um, it was the end of a conference on the analogy of being. And and someone had asked him why he wasn't Catholic at this conference. And he, he said, at that point, he said, I think it's important to remember that Protestantism is not just an intellectual matter, such that if I was converted to the intellectual understanding of the Analogia Entis of Thomas Aquinas or Shavara, as opposed to Karl Barth, that then therefore I would immediately convert to Catholicism, because so much of of Protestantism is also a spirituality, a spiritual practice. So it's not just about the mind, but in a sense about the heart uh, involved, and how we pray, you could say and that always struck me because the intellectual conversion for those of us in intellectual disciplines is, is sometimes more or less easy i guess or at least it feels like an on-off switch but there is i think a distinction between that and the spiritual conversion and reflection and so i'd love to hear your kind of your experience of and your thoughts about c- catholic conversion not so much in the intellectual plane which we you read in the books it's fantastic and a part of that of course but what was did that have any difference? Was there a difference in the spiritual conversion? Were they how, how were they related and your experience there?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a complicated question. I, I think we could take a step back and look at it through the lens that Bruce McCormick provided. And I would say that um, there isn't a single aspect of my evangelical Protestant spirituality that didn't carry over and end up getting that sort of exponential multiplication. Uh, so. Prayer, conversation with God, um, extemporaneous prayer becomes mental prayer. But in the process, I discover the Holy Rosary, which is to this day my favorite prayer every day. Um, I would also say that it isn't a case of, well, Protestant spirituality is just simply a remainder of what they took from the Catholic Church. Although I I wouldn't say that's false. I just wouldn't put it in those hmm, negative terms. I would say that when you look at the magisterial reformers or the radical reformers, you see individuals who are taking things that belong to this familiar day, the Catholic Church, and amplifying and sometimes distorting it or uh, yeah i 'll leave it at that, but for me the um and this might be my own temperament, but it was never just an intellectual conversion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm especially when I discovered the Marian doctrines and devotions. At that point, I knew that if I am called to be a child of God, and God is my Father, and I can even cry out, Abba, and if Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren, then for me, transforming the understanding of covenant as a sacred contract to something that uh, I'm discovering, in fact, that uh, it was a 16th century Dominican theologian, uh, Ambrosius Catharinus, Archbishop Catharinus, who had the notion of covenant at the center of his own Dominican theology, his critique of Luther, uh, and in Mm -hmm. fact, his odd and unexpected defense of the Immaculate Conception, which was unusual for Dominicans back then. But the centrality of the covenant rooted in the sonship of Jesus and the incarnation as well. Uh, those realities are just not cerebral only. They have a way of beating the path down to the heart and saying, if this is true, this is life-changing. And so, uh, you know, I think back to, you know, again, I I don't want to comment on what Bruce McCormick has said or experienced. Mm. All I can say is that what happened to me at the age of 14, uh, diving into scripture, falling head over heels in love with our Lord in the reading of sacred scripture, all of that was sort of, um, you know, the appetizer. Or, uh, you know, a better way to explain it, I suppose, would be to see a person relationship with Jesus Christ was for me analogous to the person relationship that I intentionally cultivated with Kimberly Kirk. Uh, and after a few dates, I wanted something much more than a person relationship, and so we got engaged. And I wanted something more than that interim state. And so we enter into marriage, but, you know, 30, you know, 35 years as a Catholic, 42 years as Kimberly's uh, husband, I I recognize that there's an analogy in the natural order for the development that we need to experience in the supernatural order. We have to fall in love. And as we explained in Rome's sweet home or journey to Catholicism, you know, there are seasons of love for every marriage and you pass through them. You don't expect fall. You don't expect a hard, cold, long winter. But we went through that. We came out more in love than we fell out of, as it were. Uh, And I have also gone through those kinds of seasons in my own spiritual life. And so often you don't know it until you're on the other side. We didn't realize that in our own marriage until we were going through counseling together with a really solid Catholic counselor who just walked us through the objective truth of what love does. As it grows, as it matures. And so to move from, you know, courtship to engagement to marriage is moving from a personal relationship to a commitment to covenant communion. But that's not like the finish line. That's the beginning of a lifelong relationship that is a marathon and not a sprint. It's a pilgrimage together to heaven as well. You know, there's a lot of joy, there's a lot of sorrow. Um, There's a lot of fulfillment, but I'm sure Kimberly would say that nobody has frustrated her as much as her husband. And I would say the same thing of her, you know, but I'm a much larger cross for her than she is for me. But she's got to carry me every day if she's going to make it to to glory. And so I think all of these analogies remind us that uh, in the natural order, we have so many aspects that converge like spokes on the hub of a wheel that show us not only why conversion must be ongoing but why it also must become a daily discipline, uh, a weekly discipline in terms of confession, in terms of communion, in terms of morning prayer and evening prayer, but also that kind of examination of conscience where I discover, man, am I good at covering up my little vices? You know, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. You know? And when I shift my focus over to our Lord, I realize how radically unconformed I am to him And yet how desperately I want to be truly Christ-like.
3: Dr. Hahn, uh, you mentioned that kind of like idea of like, this is not the finish line. Like this is the continuation. And I know as, as I mentioned earlier, like as the cradle Catholic, I hear about converts, I meet converts, I help uh, converts, but there is that kind of like weird kind of thing in the back of your head. It's like, oh, as long as they, like once they enter at the Easter vigil, they're good. We got, we got them now like type of mentality <laughs> but yeah, like what's the true. most helpful thing for a new convert like as a cradle catholic because like i get it i've grew up in this culture the catholic culture i grew up in this catholic spirituality but this is new for the convert like so right. to continue and to foster the the repeated conversions those daily conversions in the kind of integration to help learn the kind of multiplication of the graces of a conversion. How can we as Catholics assist newly converted or recently converted um Protestants in that journey? Because it, it's not the finish line. The the Easter Vigil is not the finish line by any means. Uh but how can we
2: assist in that way? Well by converting <laughs> continuously. <laughs> Uh, I would say once you discover that you don't just have a personal relationship with Christ as your own friend, Savior, and Lord, but that he is drawing you into this family communion with his father, with his mother, with his younger brothers and sisters, you know, then I would say just by being fraternal guides, uh, Mm -hmm. older brothers that lead the way, you know, I'm, I'm reflecting more, I suppose, these days upon 35, 40 years ago. I just finished an essay for a collection that Ignatius is scheduled to publish in 2022, edited by Daniel Strudwick and a friend of his. Uh, It was sort of like the intellectual account of my conversion that I wasn't able to include in Rome's Sweet Home. On the other hand, I'm I'm just finishing up a manuscript um, entitled Holy, 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 the Meaning of Sanctity in Scripture, which I begin by reflecting back on my conversion at 14 and discovering Dr. R.C. Sproul's teaching on the holiness of God. And I would say, you know, what I'm really getting at in this book is that the seed that was planted in the gospel back then for me as an evangelical is really the same acorn that is becoming an oak tree over a long time, over an entire life cycle, you know, for me. But um, becoming a Christian at 14 was obviously a supernatural milestone. Becoming a Catholic, say, 15 years later was also perhaps even more of a crisis but um what i discovered in becoming a catholic back in 1986 at the easter vigil is that uh if you're going to be a catholic then you recognize that just entering the church is the first step on the way to the new jerusalem that becoming a saint is what you become a catholic for and becoming a saint again is not a sprint but a marathon it's not a pilgrimage to the earthly jerusalem which i've made a few times it's a it's a pilgrimage to the, the heavenly Jerusalem. But in the process, you discover after all these years that the Catholic Church is even truer than I thought it was when I converted. I knew it was the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I just didn't realize how gargantuan that beauty would be, the proportionality and all of that. But what I didn't realize back then was the, the degree of difficulty of this Olympic dive. You know... Uh, <laughs> Diving into holiness and into scripture and tradition, discovering the saints, uh, sometimes it's much easier to talk about it than it is to really quietly walk that path. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's also sometimes easier to say, yes to God, you can use me to sanctify others and make them Catholic, to make them holy, to make them Orthodox, than it is to say, God, I think your principal desire is actually to sanctify me. More than to use me as an employee to reach others, so these are the lessons I have to relearn not only every day but sometimes several times throughout the day, but in the process, you're liberated from the constraints of just being you know the self worshipping wretch that you can easily fall back into
1: yeah and I'm that the call to sanctity the it seems absurd in the Catholic circle sometimes we think there's saints and then there's us, but the, that we're all called to sanctity. I'm reminded of another convert, Thomas Merton. In his seven-story mountain when one of his friends Lax, he's he's just converted and his lax lax asks him what what he wants to do and he says i just want to be a good catholic and he says you you can't want that that's not what you want and he says what do you want he says, well you should want to be a saint and merton is just floored by this and goes to one of his friends and says the lax is going around telling people that they should be saints and his friend says of course that's that's of course the only the only end point you could possibly have now i want to tie in on the question here because we were doing this kind of convert cradle business but actually right. in your house you've got a mix of two of both of them especially since you've got so many grandchildren. I wanted to ask this question this is uh, you know less less serious in a way but um you've been raising children as catholic in in a sense for a while and then grandchildren seen raised as catholics um is there been any has there been anything that you thought my gosh I wish yeah I mean I'm sure your your upbringing was wonderful but like is there a part you thought it's so wonderful that they get to have this right off right off the bat. And if I had had that when I was a kid, this would have been... Sanctity would have been even easier in a way. Have you ever had that kind of experience of thinking, they have they have this and I never got that when I was a kid, but man, that is great.
2: Well, I mean, I look at my kids and grandkids and recognize the fact that they have the sacraments, they have the saints, you know, they have the fullness of faith and all of that. But I must admit, at times I I would love to see uh, what are they called? the order of preachers? You know, I'd love to see your tribe multiply, so that the preaching would improve as well as the number of good preachers. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that you know the Bible alone uh, naturally is um, you know optimizing that for Protestants because that's the only thing they've got, and so they do everything that they can with it. Um, and so I, I feel as though and I sometimes say this to Catholic friends of mine. That they might only have half a deck, but they're playing with every card that they're dealt, uh, whereas we have the the whole deck with the fullness. But mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like we're just kind of playing with the jokers or something. And so I want to see our kids and our grandkids really challenged by the kind of great, deep preaching that I had. And I've had it on this side of becoming a Catholic, too. It just isn't as frequent. And uh mm. You know i'm an opus day and so i get it really well done in my retreats and my workshops and that sort of thing and in my parish as well downtown steubenville our pastors are remarkably gifted preachers but -hmm. that's the one thing i i believe that ongoing conversion is it calls for ongoing instruction and formation that does involve spiritual direction confession that sort of thing but it also involves biblical and doctrinal instruction hence the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, I think that book that I recently published called It Is Right and Just.
1: We're going right there, but you take it away. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Why the future of our civilization depends upon true religion. Yeah. You know, people will often say, you know, I'm spiritual, but not religious. Uh, To me, that's like saying, you know, I'm I'm married, so I don't have to go home. Uh, We're already, Mm -hmm. you know, bound together by that. The contract. No. If you if you understand spirituality you're going to understand religion as something more than a man-made institutional thing in that book that i worked so hard with brandon mcginley to to publish we we go back to the classical notion of religion as you find it in question 81 of the secunda secundae where aquinas shows that religion in a certain sense is an expression of justice uh, more than the transactional justice that we call commutative, where you pay for your groceries, you don't just take them, or the kind of distributive justice that is for the common good in a society or a social order, there are certain transcendent forms of justice where you simply can't repay what you owe others, beginning with your parents, and so you honor them with piety, and then with the the social order as well as you know the authorities. So you exercise the virtue of patriotism, but the highest form of justice and the simply the most forgotten form is religio, religion, which even Cicero recognized as being so central. And Aquinas goes so far as to call it the virtus virtutum, the virtue of virtues, the highest form of justice, which in a way is the highest of the cardinal virtues. And so it's not just personal and private, but social and public. And it's a a matter of justice to give to God through sacrifice, thanks and praise. It is right and just always and everywhere, which implies that it's horribly wrong and catastrophically unjust. It's a massive injustice, not a misdemeanor, but a felony, not venial, but mortal, and not just for Mm. persons, but for social orders, societies. We've really kind of deluded ourselves into thinking that we can have a civilization Without really tracing the source of law, authority, and order back to its only sufficient reason, which is God. And I think we'll be given as much time as we need by God to figure out how self destructive this delusion is. But in the meantime, with 21 grandkids, I've got more skin in the game. And so I'm willing to wait patiently for God to do something in changing us. But in the meantime, you know, I'm not just praying, I'm rowing my canoe away from the rocks.
1: Yeah, that's, well, that's
3: right. Dr. Han, I, I mean we're gonna wrap up here in just a few seconds. So I gotta sneak this last question in. Um sure. we are both from the Ohio Valley. Uh and we grew up in the in the Ohio Valley. So, um what is your go to local pizzeria up in the studio oh. area? And there's well, a lot. You
2: know, it's not Domino's, I'll tell you that. Um, but thank you. We have like two or three places that we go to here in town and um uh, but ultimately, you know, I would say, oh, it's the Italian family that is um,
3: De Carlo's.
2: Re- yes, De Carlo's. That's, they used yes. to be, they used to be next oh. door neighbors to where <laughs> no, we no. live right now. Yeah, They're De Carlo's pizza, by so, far the uh, best. All right, there's that. But I I don't want to step on toes because I'm friends with a number of the others too. But, and but I understand that, that every, every town has their own,
3: but it's by far by far De Carlo's. So just for the record, and, and, <laughs> but and, thanks. I
2: grew up in Pittsburgh, so I'm part of the Ohio Valley as well. But yeah. the uh the pizza place that we used to go to was uh, well one by South Park, oh, that was amazing after tobogganing especially um uh, and then there was another one I wanna say out of McKee's rocks, but that's been closed for twenty five years, but that was also <laughs> worth forty forty five minute drive
3: oh yeah, so <laughs> it's amazing what you do for a good piece of pizza, but yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, you know this episode. This episode has been uh, is product placement. We've had Dominicans placed <laughs> all over this episode for uh, for encouragement. Now, De Carlos and Pizzeria, and I'm going to make the last product placement because I was going to ask you, Dr. Han, um, what advice you'd have to those Protestants that are on the fence or think listening to this and thinking about converting Catholicism. And maybe you'll want to say something to that. But I'm going to product place as uh, so well that read read your books, um, the books that are yeah. that you can find at St. Paul Center. Um Dr. Hahn's books are just fantastic for Protestants. they it comes from, from both sides of the of the Tiber, you could say, and you will not you will not find anything there of loss but everything of gain. Um, so that's so I know you wouldn't be able to say, Well, the one advice is to read my books, or maybe you would, but I would say in, in your place, please do that because they are wonderful <laughs> whether it's on Mary, um, Haily Queen, whether it's on the conversion process, Rome Sweet Home and others, whether it's on the Eucharist uh that that supper of the Lamb, tying the Eucharist, the liturgy with the Book of Revelation, is just brilliant. Whether it's on the biblical Catholicism with uh, Pope Benedict XVI, any of these books, your titles are fantastic, and we're looking forward to this this new title as well. But do you have any final words to uh, to anyone uh, who's been who's been listening and is thinking about Catholicism, or has a friend who's thinking about Catholicism?
2: Yeah, if people are thinking about Catholicism, I think what you want to avoid is making the process merely a natural process. To to supernaturalize the process, it has to be more than an intellectualized inquiry. Uh, Mm -hmm. It has to become a matter of prayer. And I would say that the Blessed Virgin Mary is the tipping point for most people. Uh, Discovering the real presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist is obviously, you know, the Mount Everest of all of the sacred mysteries. And so that by itself, that discovery is, is worth its weight in diamonds. But I would also say this when you get to the point where you look in the mirror and you can honestly say, for me to, uh, you know, I remember saying this to Kimberly, um, that, that that not, um, how did I put it? Um, delaying obedience to what I know is true uh, is feeling more like disobedience every day. And that's the one thing I don't wanna do is disobey our Lord. And so uh, go to our Lord and say, Am I delaying obedience to what I know is true? Because if it is, uh, help me to get over all of my fears, my impediments and obstacles. And then on the other side, you'll discover that the Lord is never outdone in generosity, that whatever you give up for him, uh, he will give back so much more to you. Maybe not what you want when you want it, but invariably it'll end up being far more than you probably even asked for or expected.
1: Yeah that's that's a beautiful line the lord will not be outdone be in genero- out, be outdone in generosity it's a line we think about in religion when we enter the religious order it's the line we hear and i think it bears out in, in in religious order that um you get more that's it's more a gift i assume marriage is similar it's more a gift than a sacrifice on 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 any on a, the whole span of things uh, dr Hahn, it's been an absolute delight to to talk to you even across uh, across the internet and to get up uh, since uh, you've been so important in my life and my conversion uh, and I was glad to have Father Joseph Anthony, a Steubenville man, here as well. And there's plenty of Steubenville uh, grads in the Dominican Order, but we're always looking for more. And we've uh, <laughs> got plenty of grandkids, so I'm sure they're, if, if you're as pushing <laughs> them as strong, although maybe even the Franciscan podcast, you're push, pushing them as well, which is great. I'm I'm a Franciscan fan, too. So And Jesuits, too, everybody. More Catholics, the better. But thank sure. you so much for your time, uh, for this opportunity to talk to you. Those who are listening to God's Plain, thank you for your support on on uh, Patreon and uh, sending us donations we thank you for liking and all the kind of social media stuff that you're supposed to do for this sort of thing. And then also, uh, please, if you have a Catholic friend, a Protestant friend, or someone who's thinking about converting, or yourself, share this episode. uh, And then please go and see Dr. Scott Hahn's uh, information, lectures, books, all these things. And most importantly, as he says, pray, pray, especially to our Blessed Mother, and you will not be, uh, he will not be outdone in generosity, nor will she be outdone in generosity. So until then, thank you, Dr. Scott Hahn, for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. God bless, and God bless all those who are listening to us.
0: Thanks for listening to Godsplaining, a work of the Dominican friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app, and visit us at godsplaining.org.